This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Now time for US media superstar Megyn Kelly. And as the trans athlete debate rages on here in the UK, the controversial figure who seemingly propelled the contentious issue to a whole new level has given her first sit-down interview to the Disney network ABC in America. Female trans swimmer Leah Thomas has been obliterating opponents in the pool for over a year now since transitioning from becoming a mediocre male competitor at university. Accused of having an unfair biological advantage against her smaller and slower rivals, Thomas was unrepentant when presented with expert analysis suggesting that her male genetics gave her an edge in the water. She also appeared to accuse more than a dozen of her worried competitors and their parents of being transphobic after they co-signed a letter expressing concerns at her involvement in female sport. Watch. The women who signed the letter anonymously said that they absolutely supported your right to transition, but they simply think it's unfair for you to compete against cisgendered women. You can't go halfway and be like, I support trans women and trans people, but only only to a certain point. Some medical experts say the effects of higher testosterone during male puberty may never be fully erased. There is this concept of the legacy effects of testosterone and that that can't ever be zero. Should that eliminate or disqualify transgender women? There is there's a lot of variation among cis uh, female athletes. There are cis women who are very tall and very muscular and have more testosterone than another cis woman. And should that then also disqualify them? Are there Olympics in your future? It's been a goal of mine to, to swim at Olympic trials for, for a very long time. And I, I would love to see that through. Megan, so I found this interview a really difficult watch. I'm not going to lie. Of course, I have compassion for Leah Thomas and the very difficult journey that she has gone through, believing that she was born in the wrong body. But Leah Thomas, Megan, doesn't seem to have any compassion to the female athletes who have trained for years and years and years uh, to be the best in their sport, whose dreams she is shattering. Oh, no. It's all about her. She's made that clear in the interviews that yep. she has done. One yep. with Sports Illustrated, now this one. It's all about her. This interview, she says, I'm just so happy now. It was amazing when I got to compete at the NCAAs. It was incredible. What an experience for you, not for the biological women whose spot you took, whose medals you took. When you should not have been racing against them because you are not a woman. There is a difference between a trans woman and a woman. And this isn't something most people run around highlighting night and day. But if you're going to make us explain why you don't belong swimming against the biological women, then we're going to have to talk reality. I'm happy to go along with your statement that you feel more identified with being a woman than you do with being a man. I'm happy to call you she and her and be respectful of your life choice. But if you're really going to make me say you're a woman... I won't in this context, because now you're trying to claim that there's no connection whatsoever between you and your 20 years as a man in a man's body. And that's not true. And I was willing to overlook it and not mention it and not bring it up and make you feel uncomfortable. But now that you're going to try to claim that you're an actual woman, that there's no difference between you and the women out there, we're going to have to talk turkey 
because you're not a woman. There's a difference between trans women and biological women. And that's why this is such a fierce debate in the field of women's athletics. It's why gay and lesbian rights advocate Martina Navratilova has spoken out against this. It's why Caitlyn Jenner, who was born a man and is now living as a woman, and of course is an Olympic gold medal winner, has spoken out saying, this is not fair. We're going to have to talk about reality. And reality is Leah Thomas is six foot three, still looks like a man more than she does a woman, has greater lung capacity, greater bone capacity, greater muscle capacity, larger feet, larger hands. Uh, I could go on. That cannot be fully mitigated. And that is why she killed the other women who are in this pool, the women who swam against her. So I'm happy she feels better. But her happiness is not the only happiness that matters and if she wants to talk about happiness, she wants to talk about fairness. And if that community wants to have that discussion, then let's do it. But it has to go both ways. I completely agree. And the issue is, Megan, just by you saying that, the trans extremists, as I now call them, will say, you're a turf. You're transphobic. Well, I'm sorry. I now say to hell with your insults because actually this is too important a debate now, given that the very future of female sport, I think, is under threat. I don't care what they call me. I've been called worse, uh, <laughs> and I'm doing just fine. And I will speak on behalf of the millions of people who feel the same way I do, but have a job they could lose or too afraid to say it, and I understand that. Thankfully, you're in a position, and so am I, where we can speak the truth. Yeah. I'm happy to be respectful. But if we're really going to push it, right, if we're really going to go there, then let's go there. If your position is, and how did she say it, trans women are not a threat to women's sports. That's how she put it. You don't speak on behalf of all women, Leah Thomas. I'm a biological woman, a cis woman, and I say different. I say you are a threat to women's sports, you in particular. Maybe not all women. Maybe maybe a little boy who went on uh, puberty suppressors and then went directly over to cross-gender hormones could wind up in a place physically where that person resembled physically more of a woman. But that's not Leah Thomas. And she is a threat to women's sports because there is no way most biological women could compete against her. We already have large speculation that she threw the couple of races that she didn't crush just to make it look like, okay, the others have a chance. Um, so she doesn't get to speak on behalf of all women. And here's the thing, Dan. What you see now is Leah Thomas's name is going to be on the NCAA leaderboard uh, forever you know, for as long as her record stands. And it now could go on an Olympic medal and in the Olympic records, potentially, depending on what happens, under the women's category. And yet she suffered none of what a female athlete would have suffered for those first 20 years. She went through none of it. Has she ever gone swimming in the pool during the middle of her menstrual period? It's not that easy. I'm not a professional athlete, but I can tell you it's not a joy. Has she ever tried to compete against other women, uh, understanding that she's the smallest one in the pool? No, she has it. Even as a guy, she was six foot three and she had physical advantages. That's why, look, she was 554th as a man. She's number one as a woman. So she doesn't get to speak for us and she doesn't get to be on our leaderboard and she doesn't get to get the accolades that come with being number one as a woman because built into that is an understanding of what your life entailed prior to the point you got into that pool. I completely agree. And Megan, when she was presented with the science during this interview, it didn't make any difference to her because what a lot of people don't know is that all Leah Thomas has actually gone through is 
one year of HRT. One、mm-hmm. year. She has had no surgery. She maintains male genitalia. And if you speak to the scientists, Megan, they are categorical that one year of HRT doesn't go anywhere near overturning male puberty. It's a joke, Dan. And it's not just Leah Thomas. I mean, first of all, the NCAA has been disgraceful through this whole thing. And they punted the ball to USA Swimming. And so the swimming official said, yeah, that's unfair. We're changing the rules. And then the NCAA stepped in and said, oh, not this year. No, they, they created a special exception basically for Leah. But it's not just Leah at the NCAA level, the college level. It's also high schoolers in America. I interviewed two young runners in Connecticut, two young girls、uh, who had been winning. They'd been coming in one, two, one, two. And they had to run against runners who were running in the boys' races the previous year who didn't have to do and didn't do any hormone therapy. They just changed lanes. I mean, literally and figuratively, and started crushing these girls. There was no requirement of transition. We just decided to pretend that their femurs are the same and their muscular you know, structure is the same, their feet are the same, their legs are the same. It's a lie, all right? And it's also a lie to say that trans women are the same as biological women. And most polite people will overlook that fact unless you make us. Say it out loud. And that's what Leah Thomas is doing. There is a difference, and it's important when it comes to female athletics. Absolutely. It really is. And if you love women's sport, and like I do actually, and you appreciate、uh, that it's different to male sport and it needs protecting, unfortunately, the, the feelings of Leah Thomas's, and as you say, Megan, her happiness, it doesn't actually really matter in, in this discussion. No. And, and- And just one final point, Dan. The unhappiness of the women who are on the team with her got so bad that they wrote an anonymous letter to University、yeah. of Pennsylvania. You know what Penn said? This is an Ivy League university. They said, we'd be happy to put you in touch with campus therapists so you can work through your feelings. Why don't you put Leah Thomas in touch with the campus therapists, not the 16 teammates who are there legitimately, who quietly and Under fear of punishment because they did it anonymously, finally found a way to speak up. Indeed. Indeed. What a shocking situation, Megan Kelly. Brilliant analysis as ever. The star host of the Megan Kelly show, by the way,、uh, which you can find on Sirius XM YouTube and as a very good podcast. <music> Niall Gardner is tonight's outsider. Now, since being erected more than two weeks ago, the statue of Baroness Margaret Thatcher has repeatedly been vandalised by sets of left wing and Marxist zealots. Take a look at some of the disgusting desecration of the memorial. To form, the Iron Lady stood firm in face of attack. The three metre high bronze statue looked resplendent as it was officially unveiled in her hometown of Grantham yesterday. Mayor Graham Jeel did the honours, unveiling a quote from Maggie reading, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. 
one notable audience member was 1922 committee chair Sir Graham Brady, who of course is the recipient of the latest of no confidence in Boris Johnson. Currently 28 Tory MPs have publicly called for the PM to resign. However, with an embattled Tory party fighting on several fronts, I believe what the government requires is stability. And they would do well to learn from the traditional conservative values that Mrs Thatcher embodied so strongly. Niall Gardner, of course, former advisor to Margaret Thatcher. You remain one of her protectors of her legacy on earth. Isn't it about time the current Tory leadership looked for Thatcher? Because I think one of the main problems with Boris at the moment is that he seems to have lost touch with what it means to be a true conservative. Well, thanks very much now for having me on the show uh, tonight here in London. And uh, uh, just firstly, in response to the you know, disgraceful attacks yeah. on, on Margaret Thatcher's statue, this is basically an example of the moral bankruptcy of the left here. Uh, Margaret Thatcher won three general elections in a row. She was a, a lady of tremendous uh, mm. principle, courage and conviction. Uh, she liberated Britain from a socialism. The socialists lost. They resent that. And now you have far less left activists attacking her, her statue. It's a further demonstration of how, you know, the left have, have lost the war of ideas here. They're resorting to well, vandalism. Indeed. indeed, because, look, I'm not into identity politics and neither was Margaret Thatcher. So to me, it's almost irrelevant that, that she uh, was a female prime minister. But can you just imagine if the first female prime minister of this country came from a left-wing party and didn't have a statue at Westminster because the authorities bottled it. It just wouldn't happen. And by the way, I think we should note the Labour Party uh, still haven't had a female leader. Yes. And we're in yeah. 2022. Exactly. And as you say, you know, Margaret Thatcher would have fundamentally rejected identity politics. She would have fought against the woke, uh, the woke left. And of course, the, the woke left fundamentally hate everything Margaret Thatcher uh, stood for. And she was a real titan on the world stage. Uh, she was a great champion of freedom and liberty. And of course, the socialists hate freedom mm. and liberty, and that's why they're attacking her. And, and with regard to the, you know, the state of the Conservative Party uh, mm. today uh, and Boris Johnson's leadership, I, I really do think that you know, Boris needs to return fully, wholeheartedly to the Thatcherite uh, roots of the, of the modern-day Conservative Party. Uh, we need more Thatcherite policies here. We need limited government, lower taxes, deregulation, uh, we need a very different approach on the economy, I think, to be taken by, by the British government. And I think that Boris's position would be significantly strengthened if he shifted the policy to, uh, policies towards Thatcherite principles and ideals. And I hope that Boris Johnson remains as, as the Prime Minister. He delivered Brexit. He's shown outstanding leadership uh, over the Ukraine uh, crisis. He's the right man at the right, the right moment when it comes to really delivering for, for Britain. He's also, I think, a deeply patriotic uh, yes. figure. And I've had the, uh, the pleasure of hosting uh, Boris in Washington on a number of occasions. Which is where um, you're based. Yes, that, that, that's right. And, and I think he is a very strong leader. But I do think that Boris Johnson needs to really lead the Conservative Party from the right, based upon solid, conservative, Thatcherite uh, principles. He needs to be cutting taxes, reducing government spending, and getting you know, big government off, off the backs of, of people, basically. So... Uh, we don't need to see the Conservative Party drifting in any way leftwards. That's not going to help uh, the Prime Minister either, actually. Well, I know, because we've just seen in Australia, haven't we, uh, their Liberal Party, which is the equivalent of, yes. of the Tories, tried to compete with the Labour Party, and it ended up with them out of government. Scott Morrison yes. voted out. And 
I feel at the moment, even though I'm completely with you, I think Boris Johnson is the right man for the job. Uh, he is a proven winner at the ballot box. I don't think his policies at the moment are, are proven winners. It's almost like he's trying to outbid the Labour Party at times. Yeah, it, it's, it would be a complete disaster if the Conservatives shift to the left, if they adopt the policies of the left. And when Conservative parties do that, they always lose mm. because they lose the grassroots, the beating heart of their own, their own party. Conservative voters will mm. abandon uh, the Conservatives if they, if they adopt uh, you know, socialist-style uh, policies. This never, ever succeeds. And as Margaret Thatcher says, you, know, you really have to listen to the beating heart of, of Middle England, because I do believe that mm. you know, Great Britain is, is at heart a conservative nation that believes in conservative ideals and principles, the ideals of liberty and freedom. And when those are abandoned, it's a very dangerous path for any prime minister uh, to, be, to be taking. And I, I do hope that uh, the prime minister will, uh, will look at the example of Margaret Thatcher and see how she successfully led Great Britain. He's a big admirer of Lady, Lady Thatcher. I hope he follows her, her uh, beliefs, ideals, principles and example. Well, just finally, on, on that note, he also needs to stare down the unions yes, like she did. Absolutely. right? Because the RMT threatening months and months of chaos, yes, essentially. Precisely. The socialist trade unions will do their best to undermine and even destroy uh, the British economy. And the prime minister needs to stand up to the unions. He needs to follow Margaret Thatcher's example. And re he really needs to reject uh, socialist attempts to undermine this truly great nation of Britain. Now, Gardner, thank you so much. My pleasure. Brilliant Thanks very much. to have you here. Enjoy the Platinum Jubilee. I definitely will do. Thank you. in London. Welcome back. Now, despite an ongoing cost of living crisis and presiding over a projected £3.5 billion deficit, scheming Sturgeon is prepared to fork out an outrageous £20 million on preparations for another futile independence referendum. In a spending review published yesterday, the Scottish Government announced that many public services could see their funding slashed over the coming years, with schools, universities, the police and councils all set to suffer. However, she miraculously found the cash for her beloved Indy Ref 2, which she's pushing to happen by the end of next year. And hilariously, Sturgeon has called the sum a, quote, good investment, ignoring the fact that a recent YouGov poll showed no progress has been made on this issue since 2014, but the same percentage of Scots still saying they would stay in the union as the first referendum. But the counterattack against Sturgeon's stranglehold on Scotland has begun, led by the Scottish Tory party's new chairman, Craig Hoy, who intends to stand up for Scotland's silent majority. He joins me now. So, Craig, how on earth can Nicola Sturgeon defend spending £20 million on Indie Ref 2 already in the middle of a cost of living crisis? And it is frankly bizarre. If you ever wanted evidence that Nicola Sturgeon and the Scottish Nationalists are now living in a parallel universe, we got this yesterday. On the same day, they came forward and announced they're going to have to cut £1 billion from policing, from education, from councils, from tourism, from universities. They managed to magic up £20 million for another independence referendum that, as you correctly said, only 29% of Scots actually want and less than one third of nationalists actually want next year. These are the bizarre misplaced priorities that we've come to expect from the SNP. And despite that fact, they've actually now got £7 billion more 
than they were expecting in 2018. But because of the fact that they're wasting a quarter of a billion pounds on ferries and a whole number of bizarre SNP misplaced priorities and the incompetent running of the Scottish tax system, they're now facing a £1 billion shortfall next year and a £3.5 billion shortfall identified by the Institute for Fiscal Studies. This is sturgeonomics and it is crazy. So what are the Tories going to do in terms of Indy Ref 2? Because she can talk about holding it all she wants. She can spend her tens of millions of pounds. But presumably, you're in government in Westminster. You're going to say, we're not recognising this result. Exactly. These are the not people's priorities. We said last time around, quite clearly, we said uh, that it was a once-in-a-lifetime generation, a once-in-a-lifetime uh, poll. That's what they said. Well, they uh, said we it. Had it in yeah. yeah they, they had it in 2014. We accepted the terms of that referendum on the basis that it was once in a generation. In my experience, uh, this is not a generation. There are far more priorities, uh, far bigger priorities, as we come out of the COVID pandemic. Scotland's competitiveness is much poorer than the rest of the UK. Our health service is in crisis. The Scottish Government have ditched their target to try and close the attainment gap here because they were failing. And what does what Nicola Sturgeon want to talk about? Sowing more division through another independence referendum. Independence, don't forget, would put our jobs, our prosperity, our public services, our pensions, our national security and our national identity at risk. And as we come out of the COVID pandemic, that's the First Minister's number one priority. Really, I mean, I think Nicola Sturgeon needs to have a good, long, hard look at the country. She's been governing for the last seven and a half years. Last week, she became the longest serving First Minister since devolution. The, SNB, uh, the SNP have been in power now for 15 years, and that's 15 years of, of failure. And Scotland is stuck and going nowhere under the SNP. That I completely agree with. She's had policy failure after policy failure. The, the problem is, Craig, and this is where I need to get tough on you too, the Scottish Tories are in trouble. I mean, you should be uh, flourishing at the moment, given her appalling performance and the appalling performance of the SNP, but, but you're not. So how are you going to save the Scottish Tories in order to properly fight Sturgeon's madness? I don't accept that characterisation that the Scottish Tories are in trouble. Just this time last year, we put uh, 100,000 more votes on and polled more votes in Scotland than ever before under devolution. And we maintained a record high 31 uh, seats here in the Scottish Parliament. Now, I accept we've got more to do. And one of the things of the last election is that both Labour and the uh, SNP in Scotland didn't want to talk about domestic policy. The SNP did not want to talk about yeah. their record on schools, hospitals, roads, railways, or their record during council elections, bizarrely. They didn't want to talk about their records. Oh, no, of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. After schools because Glasgow is absolutely this is a terrible filthy. record. And across, yeah. across Scotland, we can see a litany of, of SNP failures. So okay. uh, what myself, Douglas Ross, and colleagues want to do is focus on that failure and also just stress what a Scottish Conservative government would do here. Yeah, but the problem is, the problem with that, though, the problem with that, though, is that you're at war with the UK's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. You, you don't want him to stay in the job, do you? No, I don't think we're at war at all with the, uh, the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, like us, believes in standing up to the SNP, standing up for the union. Uh, we had a disagreement at the beginning of the year over the future uh, of the Prime Minister on the back of Partygate. But I think when Russian uh, boots arrived on the ground in Ukraine, we said the context had changed. So we're saying not right now in relation to uh, any change at the top. 
And but then Douglas Ross criticised him again last week after the publication of the Sue Gray report. Yeah, I mean, I think people in Scotland are very, very angry at what they've seen coming out uh, of Downing Street. It was a, an issue in the local elections here in Scotland. In the same way, I think it is an issue across the rest of the UK. And I just hope that now that obviously the fines have been issued, the Sue Gray report has come out. And that the Sue Gray report was, don't forget, critical of the actions of many of those inside yeah. number 10. But are you but going to back Boris? Is, is the, the Scottish Conservative Party right. going to back Boris? Because... Right now, it feels like you're not backing the Prime Minister. And, and the problem for me with that is that it looks like a divided party. I don't think it's divided at all. I mean, we agree uh, absolutely in the case for a strong United Kingdom, uh, a, a Conservative government in uh, the UK and hopefully here in Scotland. There was a disagreement over those activities in Downing Street. I don't think that's Scotland against uh, number 10. I think a lot of colleagues did have concerns. And I think it's now down for the Prime Minister uh, to use the parliamentary inquiry to answer those questions that are outstanding. But we absolutely Okay, so, so, so do you want Boris Johnson to lead the Tories at the, the next right election? Through the, the, the Ukraine crisis. Do, do you want Boris Johnson to lead the Tories at the next election? I want to see Boris Johnson clear the uh, air around uh, the situation at the moment vis-a-vis -vis Partygate. I think we don't want to get into hypotheticals at this, state, this stage. The election is still some way off, but certainly... But you're uh, not prepared to back him. Is we have a strong Conservative government that is, that okay. is equally strong but, here but in But that Scotland. sounds to me like you're not prepared to back him, though. It's not that I'm not prepared to back him. I just think presently we just need to clear up a few of these issues that are still around uh, around Partygate and also make sure that this parliamentary inquiry finally brings closure. So, I think, Dan, so you I are reserving the right to call for Boris Johnson to go. Going away. We need to get closure and we need to draw a line under this issue. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that. But that's why I think the most powerful thing the Scottish Conservatives could do is to back Boris and just say, we're moving on from Partygate, it's over. But it sounds to me like you're doing, uh, you're, you're reserving your right, essentially, to renew calls for Boris Johnson to go in a few weeks' time. No, I think what we're doing is we're saying we want to get closure. We want to get the final questions answered. We want the Prime Minister to account for those questions that are still unanswered. And the best way to do that is for a parliamentary inquiry at Westminster, not a Scottish parliamentary inquiry. This oh, is not a matter I'm for, so for sick of these today. inquiries. But we, but we just make sure that we get to a point, and I think you, you said this earlier, where we're not talking about party yet anymore. Yeah, I'm, sick it. I, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it, Craig. It's like we've been speaking about party gate for six months. I just yeah, feel like precisely. we've been speaking about Partygate for six months. Uh, we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Sturgeon is literally ruining Scotland. So I don't want yeah. this inquiry, if I'm completely honest. But look, I, I respect where you're coming from because I understand yeah. a lot of Scots are angry with Boris. And I presume you feel you have to represent that feeling. Yeah, and I think, I, I think also at the same time, make no mistake, our priority every day, breakfast and noon and night, is to hold Nicola Sturgeon accountable for those failures. Because if you look at Scotland's drug deaths, for example, the worst oh, drug appalling. death rate in, in Europe. Appalling. And that's why Douglas Ross on Monday was uh, announcing here in Scotland a right to recovery bill so that we actually go out and, and fix the, the, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the... Well, that sounds great. That sounds great. And it's very, very important. But all I'm saying is that if there's some sort of Tory civil war, it doesn't look good. But look, I really appreciate you coming in and explaining the There's position. No civil war. Don't worry about that. <laughs> good news. Chairman of the Scottish Conservatives, thank you so much. We'll speak again soon, Craig.
Dan Wilson here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wilson tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. 